Well, I'm glad you made it in, Mike Moore. Me too. Yeah, I was kind of worried there. It was uh, the time that we had uh, decided to do <laughs> the show, and I had to call you. Yeah, I was out to lunch with my mom. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Decided to go on a little mother-son date and uh, I'm got some of, sandwiches. I'm kind of feeling um, shamed oh. <laughs> that, well, I, that I was kind of giving you a guilt complex for being yeah, out with your mom. Yeah, you didn't know. Well, at least you're being shamed in, in a, good a safe way. space with true a loving, listening audience. Uh, I thought you were going to say yourself. No, no. Safe place we, with yourself. We have... We have some great people who are listening to this show. We do? Um, like your we, mom? We got My, my mom does listen. <laughs> my, my, my dad listens. We got some fan mail. Uh, Whoa. Yeah. It, well, it's over there. I'll show it to you later. But you, we've you been hearing a... Read, you want me to read some? No, no, no. Right? You, oh, you, yeah. you, you, don't have to, you don't have to read it. But we're also having a, a book club coming up in a few weeks. So we're looking forward to getting to know some of you face-to-face out there in radio land as we like to call it here on the theology on mission podcast the podcast where theology meets the issues of culture for christ his kingdom and his mission nice yeah all right uh, let's uh, let's first acknowledge that um you know uh like 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 you said on facebook today my Mm -hmm. facebook page yeah that you found out that we're doing this uh, rather suddenly. <laughs> uh, and, and, and you're never really the kind of guy that prepares anyway, are you? For, for, my, for preaching, I prepare. Yeah, for preaching, I prepare. Oh, well, this isn't <clears throat> preaching. I'm talking about the radio show. You're kind of like Larry King. For all of these, those of you who are, uh, not, yeah. who are under the age of 25, Larry King was a huge CNN radio yep. and uh, television um, interviewer, and he never read the books of the people that he interviewed. He just kind of uh, kind just of kind of went with it. Went with it. So I think that's kind of you, Mike Moore. You're the Larry King of the, that's the of the podcast best, world. Best compliment I've ever received. There you go. <laughs> and so today, I thought we'd uh, get into. You know, we're in the midst of a brutal war. Yes. Uh, in Ukraine, uh, you know, we're seeing things on television every day all day mm-hmm. of uh, the barbaric acts of war of of uh, Putin and uh, the Russian army and and you know I, I, I unlike unlike so many other wars um, I find myself being sympathetic to the Russian soldiers as well as the brutalities mm. being inflicted on the people of Ukraine yeah uh, just because it seems like they they didn't know what they were being asked to do and i'm not so sure they even know now what they're doing and uh it just goes to show mm-hmm. you how war is the sick and evil uh self-perpetuating violence yeah uh and so um yeah it's been it's been shocking i i don't uh to my memory a land war in the west during the age of the smartphone i don't know that hasn't happened before so we're instantly getting footage you know photographs video of what's happening in real time and obviously there's you know conflicts over what information is accurate and reliable but uh the 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 images and the videos are are shocking yeah and um uh 
Uh, yeah, we're we're in the uh, we're in the West. I mean, Ukraine is uh, between the East well, and yeah, the West. That, that's why it's such a important important place for conflict. E- exactly, and of course, we we don't think uh, a majority of the Russian people over the age of twenty five are getting uh, footage, mm-hmm. cell phone footage, Twitter, right. Facebook, other means to understand what's going on. So all of this just compounds the immense uh, struggle to make sense out of this war. And what are we as Christians supposed to do? Have you had the urge, like, are, you know, have you, uh, Barry <laughs> Harvey uh, uh, came on my Facebook and said, okay, um, after I kind of uh, itemized the things we're going to talk about here uh-huh. in a moment, about you know, how to be Jesus followers in the midst of war. And he says, yeah, all that's good, but I feel like taking sides with Ukraine and oh, yeah. and doing something. <clears throat> do you have that impulse, taking sides with Ukraine mm-hmm. and doing something? I do that impulse. Even had, joining the military? Well, n- n- not that strong of an impulse, but I do find myself having these, like, little fantasies. I mean, th- does this happen to you? Does, it, does this happen to any, anybody else? First, but, I want to hear what you're talking about before I answer that question. Right, yeah, that's fair. So <laughs> what... what when I say, you know, fantasies, like I'm, you know, playing this thing out in my head where I'm part of the conflict and I'm like fighting on the, or you're on, actually on the there. good side. Yeah. And I'm like helping restore justice and defeat the right. Russians. Uh, and I got to kind of pull myself out of it. Um, and, yeah. and I've also had some, you know, very evil thoughts about Vladimir Putin. Um yeah. So I, I I find myself getting kind of pulled into this swirl of uh, conflicts and, and animus. Yeah, oh, so true. Um, somehow I picture myself as being this wonderful human being who's willing to risk yeah. my physical body to yeah. save people from from uh, out of a bomb shelter. Right. Or right. Yeah. I see myself being this hero, and then I go, well, hmm, I don't know if the knee would hold up. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, you had to mention the knee, but let's just say I did have a good knee. Would I uh, be one of those heroes right. that are standing with the oppressed, the hurting, the, the bombed people, helping them get food, water? Uh, there are so many heroes, it mm-hmm. seems, that we're seeing. And so, yeah, you're right about this whole uh, idea of fantasy. And I and I must admit, I like Barry Harvey said on my Facebook page, Barry, if you're listening, sorry to... Sorry to uh, what it call you out on Facebook, but go to my Facebook page and, and you'll, you'll see it. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I feel like hey, I'd like to be on that side, oh, of course. Yeah, and I I wish ill against the Russians, I and I they deserve it. Damn it, pardon mm-hmm. my language. You know mm-hmm. those those kind of emotions come out. Yeah, and so uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about you know what would be. A Jesus-centered response uh, for us in the United States, Canada, and non-war territories. Mm-hmm. What would be a Jesus-centered response to this war in Ukraine? And by the way, we've got to be careful here because Ukraine isn't perfect, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the whole issue of of oppressed peoples and how we take sides in conflict mm-hmm. is a difficult one. And I'm thinking now about the Israeli-Palestine conflict and how the very people that were persecuted in the last World War become the occupiers, right. persecutors. And this, by the way, that is a, 
uh, something to think through hmm. how violence upon violence creates more violence upon violence. Yeah. How do we put a wrench into the machinery and stop it from moving hmm. this, this violent cycle? So uh, I have here five uh, ideas or understandings that I think, and sh- we, we need to talk about them because they're not real solutions. Peeps out there, don't get your hopes up. We, Moore and I, don't have any solutions to the problem of war. No. But what I'd like to just talk about for just a few minutes is maybe five ways to think about it that can help us lead our congregations through times like this. Okay. Uh, and by the way, we all know this isn't the first time it's happened, and probably before the Lord returns, it's going to happen again. Yep. So... Uh, My first idea is refuse evil. Refuse to participate in evil. It's a, I think, I I always kind of shy away from making principles Mm -hmm. out of the way Jesus works. But um, there are ways to resist evil systems non-violently. The reason why non-violence is so important is that violence breeds more violence. It's the system of the world. It's what the devil, it's what Satan does to destroy people's lives. But resisting, participating in evil, um, there are ways through our presence that we can put a wrench into the systems of evil. So um, I'll give you one example, but yeah, we need probably more particular ones for our, you know, Context. specific places. But you know, think of what John Paul II did in leading the church to not participate in evil systems in the Soviet uh, era of Poland. Think about mm-hmm. what Lech Walesa did in organizing union workers not to to resist to stop funding the machine of oppression and uh you know um think about what emmanuel cantangale mm-hmm. in the book sacrifice of africa or i believe the other one is mirror um i should know the title of these books but i do mirror not. in africa is in there too uh where there were churches that resisted the violence of rwanda hmm. between the hutus and the tutsi tribes um and a refusal to hate in those ways, but to open up conversations and take in hurting people yeah, uh, and refusing to participate. Now, I must tell you, that's harder to do when you're not in Ukraine I was or say, yeah. in Russia. Yeah. Uh, but today, the president of the United States said we're no longer going to buy oil in Russia. I just heard that, yeah. A lot of people might say, well, a lot of people are going to suffer uh, with that. But we're refusing the money to flow into a system that is funding the murder and the, and the massacre of people's lives. And so we've got to have faith that God will work in other ways mm-hmm. to make up that money for higher gas prices and, and, sure. and meeting each other's needs and so forth. It's calling the country to more than just we're, we're going to increase gas prices and, and do that. Um, can you think of any local ways, though, that we can um, put a wrench into the system? Yeah. Especially when it's Russia and Ukraine across the, the, the 
face of the earth. And of course, we're talking Israel and Palestine. I know that's a controversial one for maybe a lot of people listening. How do we refuse to participate, to resist the evil machinery that keeps it going? That's a good question. Um, Two things I thought of. One is, and I was just talking to a pastor this morning about this, that their church has uh, relations with other churches in Russia and in Ukraine. Yes. Um, so they're they're connected just by virtue of their missionaries. Yes. Um, so I think for those churches to continue to maintain those connections, um, support resources if you can. Uh, I think also here on the ground, um, if there are Russian or Ukrainian communities near where you live, you know, we don't live far from Ukrainian village in Chicago. Right. Uh, and our family, we have um, two good friends who are Ukrainian who live in Chicago. Um, and so we've tried to tend to them a little more. Um, we, we've shown up to things when they've asked us to show up. Um, but I, I think, I, I, again, this isn't you know for people in North America, but I do love these stories about the churches in Eastern Europe who have opened up their doors, who've been practicing hospitality with those who are refugees. So I think, you know, inspiring the church uh, across the globe to open up their doors to, to welcome in the stranger. That's a way that we can refuse to participate in evil, but to participate in God's goodness. Yeah. And so, uh, folks, I know this doesn't really uh, help uh, immediately assuage the need to do something. No, it definitely but, doesn't. But there is a principle there that we must always lead the church into to recognize evil and the machinery of evil, even when it's governmental and not or refuse to participate. This is why sometimes um, Anabaptist types don't pay their taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but you got to have enough people to not pay their taxes before, uh, before this will impact the government and change its policies. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can go on and on about this, and frankly, I don't know. I, I just want to say this is a principle of nonviolent resistance mm-hmm. that runs through the history of the church, and it should run through the history of how we are present in the midst of evil. Okay, and by the way, it has implications for racism in this country. It has implications yeah. for war, for not participating in war, for conscientious objections when our country gets involved with war, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All these discernments, I think it's important to lead our churches through. Okay, the second idea here mm-hmm. is a stand with the oppressed. Stand, physically stand with the oppressed. Uh, you know, what if the German Christians, and there were millions of them, yeah, had said, no, thank you, Hitler. We're going to stand alongside every Jewish person we know. And they go to prison, we go to prison. Mm-hmm. We are going to keep them in our homes and off the trains that are going to Auschwitz. If every Christian... Now, that takes leadership from the churches because a lot of times, you, you know, the Aryan Clause and everything that went on in yeah. Germany, we know about that. We know how Germans started to see Jews as different than them, as the despised people. Mm-hmm. That you know, So this just just... The church must refuse, and this applies to, again, 
racism in our country, mm-hmm. sexuality and gender in our country, all of the divisions in our country. You, you know, Mike Moore, you ought to you ought to spend more time with Republicans. Hmm. Yeah, I I I don't disagree, but I live in Chicago. Where, oh. Where can I find them? <laughs> okay, so that's kind of a trite way of saying we need to be present with those who are persecuted among us. How does this play uh, in uh, Ukraine? By the way, I just I just love yeah. I put this on my Facebook, folks. My Facebook is Fitchest, uh, and and uh, the Ukrainians were taking captured Russian soldiers, giving them a cell phone, and having them call their mothers. Yeah, I saw that. And um, and they're even making way for the mothers to come to Ukraine and receive their sons and take them back home. Of course, mm-hmm. that's a very risky proposition for anybody in the middle of a war zone. Yeah. So the question is, is that uh, genuine? Uh, mm-hmm. But, of course, that exposes uh, the Russians to the, the humanitarian aspect of this war. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, again, it's also... Uh, uh, you could say uh, a way to win the war. You win the mothers. Maybe they'll say enough is enough. That's that's right. But um, all that to say, I, I view that tactic. I'll call it a tactic in a good way. Yeah. As standing with the oppressed. Hmm. Ironically, the oppressed is the Russian soldier in this case. Mm-hmm. You got any ideas as to how this could work? Now we're not in Ukraine. I know. We're yeah. Not in, we're no. But you you were fantasizing. <laughs> About what would I do if I was in Ukraine? But we can go be with people, support people yeah. monetarily, uh, and and also as you just mentioned, the Ukrainian village is just down the street, mm-hmm. but in on the west side of Chicago. Yep. Um, can we uh, go be with them, show support? Um, our my denomination, you know, it's it's ironic, and if you were watching CNN. Uh, the Baptists and the Reform groups were all there on the borders of Poland and uh-huh, Hungary, yeah. taking in were, were were the major one of the major organized efforts to help refugees. Yeah, uh, I just think this is stunning. Oh, I think it's yeah, it's it, it's a great a great for the church. Magnificent witness to yes. the kingdom of God, and yeah. so uh, maybe we can't do that for Ukrainians over there, but we can do that for Ukrainians here. Maybe we can't do that for Palestinians. Over there, but you know, a lot of people take trips to Israel. Maybe they should go spend a little time. Yeah, uh, on the West Bank. Well, yeah, yeah. I I think there are groups that take people over to Palestine, and, and also you know, not just Ukrainians, Russians too. How can we stand with Russians who are confused, angry, um, upset with what's going on? You know. Yeah. But I I do not have great ideas for this one for, for lo- this podcast. For locally, for, yeah. you know, standing with the oppressed. I mean, <clears throat> I, I think the I think I was about ready to say the principles, but the, the things that you're saying I think are true. Um, I just think it gets a little more, yeah, it's a little more challenging to imagine what it looks like here, yeah, at home, yeah. And again, we got most most a lot of us are connected to churches, like you were talking about earlier, where we have people, relation we have relationships with people who are there on the ground yeah. with people. Mm-hmm. They extend our presence to this these war-torn countries. Yeah. And they could be the presence of Christ, support those people, send money uh, to support those people. 
um, my denomination has a link where we can send money for support, mm-hmm. for humanitarian care. The world and the church must lead the world, uh, must respond with an overwhelming outpouring of love and support. Uh, it's just been amazing to watch uh, the, the Ukrainian uh, leader, Zelensky, and, and all the people just sense the whole world supporting them, uh, mm-hmm. like, like you and I haven't seen in our lives, lifetimes. No, no. So it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, okay, uh, a third, promote truth. Be a witness to the truth. Continue to promote truth. Bear witness to truth. Uh, okay, I, I have to denounce Twitter because I think Twitter's okay. a very pl- bad place to work out truth. And, and it yeah. turns into an echo chamber. But can we... Uh, it's, again, it's going to be hard in the United States to do this in Ukraine. But can we keep the truthfulness conversation working uh, and support those... Uh, do you think we could do that with Twitter, Facebook, mm. other means? Uh, other means, yeah. I, I, I have less hope in Twitter, less hope in Facebook. But through other means, I think through being present and being physically embodied with people, that's always my go-to. I think there's just a hi- higher likelihood of truthfulness. That's my go-to, too, but but I can't go to Ukraine right yes, now. Yes, you cannot. But we got Zoom. Hey, oh. Zoom, best option. Nice. Twitter. Bad option. Bad option. Uh, I have, uh, I guess I would say to all my Canadian and American listeners that are listening with us, all three of you, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess I would say that um, Twitter and Facebook can do something here for us, but can we be, can we do the work of uh, truthfulness or what I have called in other podcasts, para, parisia, uh, this, this speaking truth in a way which reveals our stake in it, mm-hmm. uh, which costs me something, yes. which uh, doesn't go into just flame out, flaming people uh, and and not engaging in legit discussion. I'm sure people have problems with me on those issues, by the way, on sure. Twitter or Facebook with my my uh, presence there. But I, I, I do want to tell you, Mike Moore, I work at it. I work, yeah, I, I try, not always successfully, but... It's really a good exercise. in, And so the more the truth gets out and where it can get out and how it, in the smallest of ways, by the way, I believe the Holy Spirit leads to all, leads the world to truth. So if we pray and when there's small pockets of truthfulness being worked out, mm-hmm. even in the small, the churches that we have connections with in Russia and in Ukraine, in other places, I believe let's do it and do that work well. Just not, you know, flame out over some issue and and try to get our anger taken care of on Twitter, but mm-hmm. actually engage and promote truth. I think that's something we can do for the kingdom. Hmm. Yeah. It seems like this point, promoting truthfulness, kind of folds in the other two points. If you're The previous two points? Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're embodying truthfulness, it looks like somebody who's standing with the oppressed and refusing to participate in evil. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, as we're you know, as we're just talking about it, I yeah, I realize this is this um is a high cost of discipleship to do these things. And, you know, 
if we were ever in a position like the churches are right now in Ukraine specifically, I would hope that we would have the character and the the courage to to be able to do all these things because, yeah. because it does come at a cost. There's a, a severe cost. Yeah, and we all immediately think back to Bonhoeffer and some of the yes. things he did and some of the things he said and some of the things he wrote and some of the things he put on a radio broadcast and some of the things mm-hmm. he just stood out as one of the only ones at that time speaking yeah. truth. And there wasn't really a church there. Mm-hmm to work out the truthfulness. Right. It was already too far gone. Some of us are listening to this right now and we're going, is, are we in the United States too far gone mm-hmm. uh, for a working out of truthfulness yeah. uh, in our culture? So, yeah. uh, I mean, uh, this, this again, <laughs> uh, I hate to keep calling it a principle, but this is the kind of people we gotta become if we're gonna, if yeah. we're gonna be agents of the peace of Jesus Christ amidst mm-hmm. amidst war. Okay, now I've got here number four. Yes. I've got pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, uh, I think this, um, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers. Uh, oh, thanks. Thanks for your thoughts and prayers, but I need more. Yeah. I think prayer is more than just praying to God that he'll do something. <clears throat> yeah. Prayer is uniting with Christians around the world in Russia, mm-hmm. in Ukraine, elsewhere, Poland, Hungary. Prayer is uniting the church to pray for peace. And in doing that, it invites God to work in our lives and, and yeah. in these places in the world. It opens space for God to work hmm. in Russia hmm. and in Poland. Yeah, and, and, and then maybe if we got enough Christians praying in Russia... And enough Christians in Ukraine, and I don't even know. My guess is there's not that many Christians as a percentage of the population in Russia or Ukraine, although I know that there are amazing Christians in both countries. Mm -hmm. Um, Then we maybe won't kill each other as easily. Then we'll have strength to do the other three things we've been talking about. Yeah, yeah. A modest, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to quote, a phrase that Hauerwas has on his front door, famously at Duke in his office, but also, uh, and I can't remember who said it the first time, but it's a modest proposal for peace. Let the Christians of the world resolve not to kill one another. You know, Hmm. let's start there by Christians refusing to kill Christians. Yeah, wow. Uh, It's a defiant, subversive act. Think about that. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of things that really take imagination because we can't imagine how they would happen. But we didn't have any imagination that the uh, people of Ukraine would stand up to one of the biggest, most powerful armies in the world Mm -hmm. until about two weeks ago. Right. All right, lastly. Number five. Have you got anything to say before I wind this baby up here? No, you're good. Lead us. Um. So a fifth idea is this idea of like actually getting involved in the military. Okay. Should Christians volunteer to go to Ukraine and fight? This is such a complex issue that folks you're just going to have to come to Northern Seminary and study <laughs> with us in the master's program of theology and mission. But, you know, there is an idea that uh, a police force is different than a a war. Mm-hmm. A police force is uh, violence used for the protection of the innocent. Um, it is 
uh, by definition accountable to the people that it is working for and with and among. And that's different than the military going and shooting somebody else from another country. And the question becomes, you know, is an international police force um, a worthy response to Mm. the genocide and the military or the war crimes of of the Russian dictator? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to answer that question, but I do know that God can use... And we know this from Scripture, Romans 13, although that's a complicated issue, too, because we don't want to repeat the German mistake of saying Christians stick to your personal spiritual life Mm -hmm. and the government do the work of the government and the two shall never meet. Um, But we do know that God uses the government Hmm. and that God uses maybe the government even when it's using violence, which is not God's way to work in the world. He still remains sovereign. This is what uh, Luther would call the right hand and the left hand. Uh, you know, the left hand is the military violence of the right. power of the sword, and the right hand is the work of the spirit. And, um, you know, uh, Luther said that God can use both. There's a, that's a complicated issue, which we can't get into right now. <laughs> yeah. But all this to say, I, as a, a adamant neo-Anabaptist, recognize that sometimes uh, governments using force Mm -hmm. can be used of God to protect the innocent. And we must pray for our government, and we must discern very carefully, very carefully how we ever would participate in that kind of force. Yeah. Because violence is prone, more than prone. Violence is almost inevitably default to evil. And so we must separate that from the work of God. Hmm. So hmm. these are the basic ideas um, that uh, frame the way I think Christians should think about and engaging with yeah. uh, the brutality of war, and especially uh, since Ukraine is on our minds with this situation right now. Can we, can we sum up this podcast, Mike Moore, and come up with a few suggestions hmm. as to what we would do uh, in our own churches. Now, I, I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll let you go first. Okay. And then I'll go second. Summarize the two or three things you would lead your church in responding to the crisis hmm. in Ukraine. That's a good question. Um, I Obviously, praying, which is marked, I think, most churches over the last two weeks. Uh, again, contextually, we're close to Ukrainian village. So that provided us an opportunity to go to a Ukrainian church and uh, pray alongside them. So I would encourage anybody that can do that. If you happen to have a Ukrainian church close to where you live, go uh, join them in prayer and in worship. Um, and then, I, yeah, I think we talked about this, mobilizing what resources you do have, whether that's connecting with your church. I know my denomination is receiving donations if you have missionaries there. Um, but yeah, Encouraging us towards those ends. Yeah, so these things, I think, are... uh, Maybe we didn't need a whole podcast to just suggest lead your congregation in praying for the world. Yeah. Uh, Lead your congregation in supporting missions Mm -hmm. and uh, relief efforts in Ukraine with an outpouring of gifts and love. Yeah. And to join with those who are hurting around you that are directly connected to Ukraine at this time, or Russia for that matter. Yes. Um, But I hope 
instead of just those three, I almost call them simple tasks, but they're not. Practices. You'll see there's a whole theology and a faith that uh, we can lead people into mm-hmm. in understanding the way God wants to work in the world through Jesus Christ yeah. in the midst of evil, in the midst of war, in the midst of catastrophe, hmm. tragedy. Yeah. And, and perhaps we can deepen our congregations to a commitment to be the people of God living under his lordship in the time of war. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, that wraps it up then for a Theology and Mission podcast. Yeah. Do you have an announcement or two? Um, I already mentioned the book club. Which we don't have any more space for. No more space. We'll have another one. I don't know. I mean, should we talk about the lectures? June 9th and 10th, Willie Jennings. Everybody knows about that at this point. Everybody that listens to this podcast has heard yeah. you announce that 52 That's times right. in well, the last I gotta, I podcasts. Well, I got to keep promoting it. <laughs> uh, well, we're I, looking I think forward. We're, I think we're looking forward to a big crowd there, eh? I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, you're all filled up for the doctoral cohort here in June 2022, but we got slots open for the TM program. That's the Master's of Arts in Theology yeah. Admission. So uh, hit us up yeah, if you want Folks, if you're worried about it. traveling to come to a seminary for education, you don't have to do that. We, uh, have, nope. a, we have what's called Northern Live. That's right. Live from Northern Seminary. <laughs> it's Northern Live. So we hope to uh, uh, make that path to Northern, uh, you know, uh, an easy one for you if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Folks, until then, until the next podcast... Uh, it's been good to be with you. It's been good. To, hopefully, you can leave us a review somewhere and tell people about us. Yeah. Spread the word. Uh, and uh, we will see you in two weeks with another Theology Mission podcast. Till then, it's Mike Moore and Dave Fitch over and out. <laughs>